Hello and welcome back to Grazia Life Advice. I hope you're feeling good. In this episode, we have pearls of wisdom from a great British bake-off icon. So I'm Leith and I'm mostly a cook, but I do a lot of other things too. I write novels and I've been in business and lots of stuff. But this week, I am the guest on Grazia's Life Advice podcast. Imagine that. (laughs) Coming up, Prue's had success in multiple fields, from running restaurants and businesses to writing and becoming a TV legend. But she says she still has her feet firmly on the ground. In telly, you're called the talent. And I just think that's hilarious because, they, honestly, there is no talent involved in, in eating cake. <laughs> it's just a pleasure. She talks about some of the issues raised in her film Journey With My Daughter, which follows Prue and her adopted daughter exploring her Cambodian heritage. I said, even if you disappeared out of my life now, I would be grateful for having had such a wonderful daughter. But I don't think you will because we love each other and, you know, adding somebody else to love is not going to diminish your love of me. And Prue also has some thoughts on keeping your partner happy and interested. So I had this all planned that I would be in my black knickers and bra and I'd be come out of the bathroom looking amazing. Makeup on, knickers and bra on, nothing else. And he would be instantly in my arms. This interview is full of funny anecdotes from a fascinating life. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Prue. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. I'm really excited to be talking to you. How are you? I'm really fine. Slightly ruffled because I've had a desperate drive to get here in time, but I'm here. Brilliant. Well, we're glad you are. And you're here to share your life advice with us. And you've had a really varied um, professional life, which I'm excited to get into with you. And your first piece of advice is maybe something that you learned early on in your career, correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, but it was to be prepared to do the dirty jobs if you want respect from your staff. How did you learn this? Well, I, you know, I've always worked for myself. And then, of course, I built up a, quite a big business. Um, and so, of course, I started with the dirty jobs. I mean, if you start as a cook, you're doing more washing up than anything else. That's what cooking is all about. It's, it's cle- cleaning and peeling and moving the rubbish and so forth. And so I sort of learned that. And then I realized that it was Albert Roux, the great you know, Michelin star restaurateur, who was a friend. And I said, oh, you know, I just so like to be able to do more cooking and do less washing up and cleaning the van and, <laughs> and humping out the rubbish. And he said, well, if you're not prepared to do the dirty jobs, you'll never have the respect of anyone who works for you. So and in fact, it was really good advice because when we first started, I mean, the first person I ever employed was a, a woman, a friend, and and we did everything together. We, you know, we did the cleaning together, we did the cooking together. I never felt I was her boss. In fact, when we didn't have anything to do, we'd play tennis. <laughs> <laughs> and I think feeling that you're one of the mob is a really good thing for a boss to feel. Mm. So even when I was very successful and had. You know, really, I, I remember getting the contract for the Queen Elizabeth Conference Centre, which is a huge, at the time it was the biggest conference centre in the country. And and one day I discovered that all the rubbish hadn't been cleared from the basement. And I said to my manager, why haven't we cleared the rubbish from the basement? And he said, it's not our job. That's the job of the centre staff. Mm. And I said, but it's our rubbish. 
and it smells. Anyhow, we had this little tiff about it because he said he, if he did it once, they'd expect him to do it always and so on. And I just said, look, we've got to get rid of the rubbish. And, and I suddenly realized this guy's going to go. I, you know, <laughs> he doesn't get it. And uh, so I was in a bit of a temper and I stamped down and went to, down to the basement and I cleared by myself 48 bags of rotting, stinking rubbish. Oh, my goodness. It took about four hours. And I hosed down the place and sterilized and all the rest of it. And then it couldn't have been the better thing to do because the word got round that the boss, instead of tripping around in fancy high heels and looking smart, could actually splosh around in maggoty rubbish. (laughs) It did me a lot of good. Yeah. And as you moved into TV later in your career, did you still have that spirit of wanting to stay grounded and uh, suddenly you must be surrounded by people doing things for you and hair and makeup and did you ever find yeah, that difficult yes, to yes. adjust and, to? And, I mean I, I'm very amused by it I mean I think it's um, in telly you're called the talent <laughs> and I just think that's hilarious because there, honestly there is no talent involved in, in eating cake it's <laughs> 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 just a pleasure but it, I, I love it and when I first you know I'd find somebody saying you know, then I say, would you like a cup of coffee? And I'd say, I'd love one. And then I, I said, to them, the talent wants a cappuccino. <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's hilarious. And I do find, I think I, I am quite ungrand. And I, uh, although I have a voice that people often think is very schoolmarmy and boss-like, which I hate, I absolutely hate my voice. I just think, I mean, I, for example, I'm a dame now. And when people call me Dame Prue, I just want to laugh. It's just ridiculous that I should be a dame. Anyway, it's very Amazing nice. Amazing to have that level of sort of um, self-deprecation. It, you no, need it's not it self-deprecation. I think I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not being deprec- self-deprecating. I, I really, I think I'm good at what I do. And yeah. I, I'm not um, falsely modest. Mm-hmm. But I, I just think it's important not yeah. to be... Not to be so up yourself that you can't make yourself a cup of coffee, oh, or you absolutely. can't make you can't make the builder a cup of coffee, or you can't make the cleaner a cup of coffee. Mm. No, we're all people. And your second piece of advice is to think like a customer, and this is from your restaurant career. It Can is. you tell me a bit about this? Well, when I opened um, my restaurant, I, like many people who open their own restaurants, I think almost all of them. What you're trying to do is open the kind of restaurant that you would like to go to. Mm. You know, so you'll find, um, you know, if, if a jazz musician opens a restaurant, it'll probably be, be in a basement, it'll be a jazz club. You know? And I wanted to have a restaurant that was really good food and quite smart, but very informal and friendly, and that we wouldn't have any rules about you know, you've got to wear a jacket or a tie or something, which I always thought was ridiculous. If you're taking somebody's money, they can do what they like. (laughs) I used to say to my staff, if if the customer wants to put ice cream in his Chateau Latour, it's his wine. He's bought it. He can do what he likes with it. I love that attitude. Don't be snobby. Anyway, I think thinking like a customer is really important. And if you think of the good restaurants that, that opened around about my time, I mean, Robert Carrier was a, he wasn't a prof- he hadn't been anywhere near a hotel school. He had been an advertising guy and he'd worked on magazines. Um, 
Albia Rue had been a private caterer catering for a family. I, I had no background in the hotel industry, but we all did really well because we thought, well, what would the customer like? Does the customer want to be told to wear a jacket and a tie? You know, some restaurateurs were so bossy at the time, they mm. would not put salt and pepper on the table because they said that they were the arbiters of how much salt and how much pepper would be. Oh, in your really? Food. Oh, so arrogant. You had arrogant. no right to be. Mm. You, know, um, you know, I've been very busy with the hospital food report for the government, which is to try to get hospital food better. You know, I keep saying to people in hospital, if you woke up after a, an operation and you hadn't had anything to eat for two or three days and you've had a long sleep, you'll be really hungry. Mm. Wouldn't you like to be fed even though it's two in the morning? You don't want to be told, sorry, we can't do anything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, if somebody wants a piece of toast, what would call be more comforting than a piece of toast? Well, half the hospitals still don't make toast on the ward. Mm. And the biggest yeah. complaint in hospitals is toast, lack of toast. Yeah. And so we've got to get that right. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> and when you say, talk about your era in restaurants, what are we talking? Was this the 90s? Um, no, no. And I opened Leith's restaurant in 1969. No. Yeah. I was, I was 29. I'm now 82. I'll be 82 next week. Oh, my goodness. It was the 1960s. And we were still in a sort of hangover almost from the austerity. You know, people were, mm. food was really grey and dull and boring. What do you think of the restaurant scene today? The kind of London, buzzy, Well, I love it. Restaurant? Um, what I like is that it's, it's, it's mostly controlled really by young enthusiastic people who love food all the new restaurants that open they somebody has got an absolute thing about mexican food or mm -hmm. or spanish tapas or or vietnamese noodles or whatever it is and they do it really really well so i like the variety i like the lack of um i think about 10 years ago now or five years ago michelin gave their first star to a restaurant that had no seats in it. I mean, it just was like bar stools along, a, which is Barfina in, in, in Soho. Oh, yeah. They gave it to them because it, they had amazing, beautiful little plates of mm. delicious food. It wasn't just to do with waiters looking smart and the loo having um, Chanel in it. And yeah. <laughs> Your third piece of advice is from a different stage in your career, and it's from your um, your foray into novel writing. I rather like this. It's go through open doors. Don't bang on closed ones. Mm, I like that too. Tell me. My literary agent said this to me because I want so badly, and I still do, I want to get some of one of, and just one would be good, of my novels onto into a television series. Mm-hmm. And I've never managed it. I've often been where well, a novel has been on, has been optioned or something. Somebody's been enthusiastic about it or production companies taken it up or something. But for one reason or another, and this happens all the time in television. My agent also told me the same time she told me this. She said, look, you're very good at writing novels. Why don't you just write them and stop worrying about television? <laughs> and she also said, besides, you've got to know that only 3% of proposals that are pitched get any interest and only three percent of those get into development and only three percent of the ones in development actually get made and so on and so on and so it's really really difficult so she said just you know stop banging on <laughs> <food."> 
And do you think that not banging on closed doors kind of protects you in some way from disappointment? And and you can waste an awful lot of time. I mean, I, I don't actually don't listen to this advice very much because I still have that thing. <laughs> and I've now set up a well, it won't do it won't be doing my my novels, but I've actually set up a production company with my daughter and two friends of hers because they're all in telly and they're all in, at their at that age you know in their 40s at, the, mm. at their absolute prime that they've been working for other people you know the sort of disney's and endemols of this world mm. you know controlling huge budgets doing a terrific job but not getting any credit for it you know mm. but anyhow we're doing this production company now wow family business in my 80 second year is yeah. quite presumably fun. you get on really well and yeah it's, no, we, um, do. We, do. It's... we did a film together in um, Cambodia about her birth because she's Cambodian it was called journey with my daughter and it was we went to Cambodia looking for any with through DNA testing and and um, DNA search websites we were trying to find her family mm. her birth family how amazing that she could take you on that journey with her I remember she was saying to me, are you worried about this? What if I find my real mother or my, mm. my birth mother? And I said, honestly, darling, if I, this is the first time she went looking, which was when she was in her 20s. I said, even if you disappeared out of my life now, I would be grateful for having had such a wonderful daughter. Mm. But I don't think you will because we love each other. And adding somebody else to love is not going to diminish your love yeah, of me. Absolutely. I don't think it would. Yeah, I totally agree. I have a daughter with my wife and so we used a sperm donor and she has the option when she's 18 to find her yeah. donor. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I'm excited about that for her. I think well, exactly. that would be exactly. an amazing, if how, she chooses she to now? go on that journey, she's only three. So she's <laughs> got a, we've got a while, but, um, yeah. you know, I, I look forward to it and I'm not sort of threatened by it. And I think yeah. it will just enrich yeah. our lives yeah. and our family yeah. in some way. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Right, we've got to jump to a quick advert break now, but we will be right back with Prue Leith and her life advice. We are back with the wonderful Prue Leith, who is sharing her life advice with us today. And her fourth piece of advice, I'm going to let Prue, you share this one with us, please. It's really a very simple one, which is never let go of the tiller. I remember when my restaurant was hugely successful and I was not then doing other things, I um, I'd opened a cookery school and I was writing lots of books and I sort of let go of the tiller a bit and one day I read in Time Out that Leith's restaurant uh, you know they, they said a few nice things and then they said but it's stuck in a time walk it's stuck in a 1970s time walk and I was so upset because I always thought of us as being quite oh, ahead yeah. of the trend and top of the range and <laughs> and and really good but it was that thing of not um of just thinking oh everything's fine you can leave that to someone else yeah. i think it's 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 pretty good advice and it was given to me by sir peter parker who was the chairman of british rail he was a lot of other things too but he was chairman of british rail he did a lot of different jobs but he really concentrated on them all and i do that now and i just make sure that i don't that I'm not involved in too many charities or too many mm -hmm. businesses so that I can't be quite deeply involved. I'm not interested in just having my name on the letterhead. You know, I want mm -hmm. to actually care about the thing I'm attached to. Yeah. And how do you 
continue to do that to to keep hold of the tiller? Oh, I have a lot of help. I mean, okay. there's no doubt. I couldn't. <laughs> That's do reassuring half. for the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> I could not do half the stuff. I mean, if Francisca, my PA, retired or resigned or something, I think I'd have to just pack up shop because half of my brain is in her brain. <laughs> I mean, for example, I knew I had to do this podcast. I'd thought a bit about what I wanted my six um, things to do, to say. But when I walked in here this morning, I had no idea what I what I was doing because I do quite a lot of podcasts. And I said, so what's this one about? And she just put a bit of paper in front of me and said, that's what you're doing. I sometimes feel like a racehorse, you know, uh, fed properly and groomed properly and <laughs> um, trained properly. And, I'm, and then somebody puts me in a, on a track and gives my bum a smack and says, go in that direction. <laughs> I love <laughs> That's that. the way you're galloping. <laughs> and I gallop along. Amazing. Um, um, Pru, your fifth piece of advice is think of the angle. Can you tell me a bit more about what you mean by this one? Oh, I think of the angle. Well, my, my husband says this quite often to me. Um, if I say, if I come along and I say, the, the, the man who's putting in the bird boxes, because we, we've got a farm and, we're, and it's gradually going organic, you see. So we want, so he says, and the man who's putting in the bird boxes is proposing that we have 60 bird boxes for small birds and 40 bird boxes for raptors and so on. And I say, I get very excited. I say, but that's a hell of a lot of bird boxes, but presumably it's a, you know, we need them. You know, that, that's how many the birds need. And John will say, think of the angle. Mm. What does he get out of it? He wants to sell a lot of bird boxes. You probably <laughs> don't need 60 bird boxes. You probably don't need 40 raptor boxes. What we need to do is find out how many, you know, kestrels will live close to each other. Mm. For example, if you, if you have private medicine and you go down Harley Street, you, go, you know, you, get, you go to – I'm always amused at this. You've got some problem. Say you've got a – a sore elbow. So you go to a, whatever they call bone man. Mm-hmm. And then he sends you down the road because he says, thinks you, you need um, a blood test. And the blood test guy thinks you need an x-ray. And the x-ray guy thinks you need a, a, cons- a consultation with a, a, a spinal, mm-hmm. you know, actually think of the angle. They're all, of course, they, they're, they're doing their job and they're, they're good medics. But they're also selling a service mm. and, they're se- and they're keeping their mates in business. Absolutely. Yeah. I think just thinking for yourself in that respect, yeah, thinking of the angle is super important. I mean, we get we get upsold stuff, don't we, so much now. <laughs> like you can't go to the post office or do anything without someone trying to get you to, you know, sign up to home insurance or something else you don't need. And talking of your husband, your final piece of good advice is don't take your husband for granted which I <laughs> sounds like he's um, he's got lots of good advice for you and that you shouldn't take him for granted. My mother t- said this to me. Um, she said, when I just had my son, um, who wasn't adopted, and, and he was up my first, our first child, I was so besotted with the baby that she said, look, don't forget your husband really matters and don't, you know, you can't, bestow all your attention and affection on your baby Mm. and I went off and I thought right I'm going to really woo my husband Mm -hmm. I remembered my mother's advice and so I thought well when he walks in because he'd been he was he was going to come home at about five o'clock 
So I had this all planned that I would be in my black knickers and bra and I'd be come out of the bathroom looking amazing, mm. makeup on, knickers and bra mm-hmm. on, nothing else. Mm-hmm. And he would be instantly in my arms. And so I all this work to plan. I could hear him coming up the steps. And so I got out to ready to walk out into the passage. And I walked out into the passage and I found he'd picked up the baby out of its cot on the way. And he was saying, oh, isn't he wonderful? Isn't he so beautiful? Isn't he sweet? And I was standing there like a lemon, (laughs) half naked, and no notice at all. Brie, it's been really great talking to you. And we've still got your your final piece of advice, which is some bad advice. Well, this is a rather obvious one. But, you know, people often say, and my mother's generation definitely said things like, people who ask don't get. You know, you can't be pushy. You must be. Right. I think that's absolute nonsense, especially for women. Mm. You have to ask or you don't get it. It's a complete reverse. People who ask get. I mean, they don't always get, but, you, you know, especially in business. I mean, women in particular never don't get promoted enough because mm-hmm. they don't fuss. They just get on with the job. And meanwhile, men are saying to their bosses, you know, I'm ready for the next stage. What do you think? Mm-hmm. I think I need more money. I've, I've been offered this job down the road and, and I think I'll take it. You know, they, they're just a bit braver. And I think women should not undervalue themselves. They should think, am I worth it? If I'm worth it, I need to tell my boss. Yeah. That's wild that that ever existed as a phrase, people who ask don't get. It's yeah. so counterintuitive. <laughs> It's so Victorian, isn't it? Was, it? Yeah, yeah, it really is. Yeah. And, and I can see. And it only yeah, applies to women. I mean, I bet, you know, um, people who ask don't get was never said to a man. No, quite. Yeah. It might have been said to a child, you know. Yeah. I, you know, I if, you are, if you ask me one more Keep time asking. for an ice cream, I won't give you any. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Definitely. Um, Prue, it's been really wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing your advice with us. It's been fabulous. And um, Well, Lottie, I've enjoyed it. And uh, tell us what, what you've got um, coming up or where we can find you on our TV screens or bookshops. or That um, programme I was talking to, Journey With My Daughter, is still available on um, more, more for all for okay, whatever it is. I will definitely check that out. And... Also, I did a program with my husband, who I've only been married to for five years. And um, we did a program about, we, we just built a house on an old, where there had been an old farmhouse. And so we made a film um, of us creating this new garden. It was a gardening film. It's called Prue's Great Garden Plot. And it's also on Awful. Fabulous. It's also for Channel 4. Okay, well, really great to talk to you, Prue, and thank you very much, and enjoy the rest of your week. Thanks, Lottie. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's Grazia Life Advice podcast, and thanks again to Prue Leith for sharing all of that with us. And as ever, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast. And if you know someone who'd get something out of listening to Prue's wise words, maybe they need to find a way to ask for a promotion at work, for example, then please share the episode with them and we'll be back next week. 